Do you ever feel like true crime stories border on or even totally cross over into exploitation? It's really a fine line sometimes, and I try to always focus my telling of these stories as service. I want everybody listening to learn things they didn't know so they can be safer, they can keep their loved ones safer, and they can pay it forward by serving others to help survivors heal with justice and keep our communities safer. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm going to bring you another story from the world of true crime today, and then we're going to see where it intersects with our faith. Then we're going to join forces to answer what I think is every Christian's calling, and that's to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. We'll talk about a very practical way to do this after we dive into today's case. This is Season 3, Episode 27. Today, I want to share with you a case that's been cold for over 25 years now. Jack Robinson was murdered in broad daylight on August 17, 1996, in Columbia, South Carolina. I am so truly privileged to be joined today by Jack's only child, Tammy Downs. Now, let's see if we can get someone to come forward with information about Jack's death to help Tammy see some justice for her dad. 65-year-old Jack Robinson was killed at the Jordan Memorial Boat Ramp in Columbia. At that time, the ramp was known as the Rosewood Boat Landing. Since 1996, there have been no arrests and police have announced no new leads in Jack's killing. Now let's get back to this boat ramp. I was passing through Columbia not too long ago, and so I wanted to stop and find this place. I tried. I really tried. Google Maps led me to this chained-off area with tall weeds that really looked unused. There was no signage, and neighbors that I asked didn't seem to have even ever heard of it. Please don't tell my oldest daughter, but after that, I switched to the Waze mapping app that she kept telling me was way better than Google Maps. She does not need to know that. Not from us. Witnesses saw Mr. Robinson walking down that ramp with a younger man on that day of his death. They described this other man as being a Latino male, around 5'10", and weighing approximately 160 pounds. Remember, though, that was over 25 years ago. If he was young, he could have still grown a bit taller, and he certainly could have put on or even lost weight. So think about anyone you know who fits this description as they looked back then. Now, Jack and this man were heard arguing, and then the man ran off, and Jack staggered back toward where some witnesses were, bleeding profusely from wounds to his stomach. An ambulance was called, and Jack was rushed to the hospital. But less than three hours after the attack, Jack was dead. Police tried to make sense of why Jack was at such an out-of-the-way boat landing that day. He didn't own a boat, and he wasn't known to fish. His personal records didn't show any plans to meet anyone there or at that time, and his phone records didn't suggest that he had set anything up recently. So was this just a random encounter that turned deadly very quickly? Or, as police speculated to Tammy, was Jack meeting a secret gay lover there? As unbelievable as that seemed to Tammy, she and I both agree on one thing. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. Whatever any of us believes about homosexuality, no one deserved to be stabbed multiple times in the abdomen and left to die. No one. 
please check out this week's show notes for more information about Jack's case and ways you can contact someone if you know anything about his death. I've worked and read about so many cases that are solved when one seemingly small piece of information gets brought forward and then suddenly that just ties everything together. Now, we're going to join Tammy as she tells us more about her beloved father and how the violent way he died with no answers has affected her and her family. Tammy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I know this has got to be difficult to share, but please tell us about your dad a little bit. What was he like? Well, thank you, Lori. I appreciate you contacting me and having this time to talk. Well, my dad was uh, in the military. He was uh, United States Air Force. And then after he retired from the Air Force, then he went working for Moncrief uh, Hospital out at Fort Jackson. He was very quiet. He was sort of a lonely type person, but yet he had his friends around because the Air Force he and the way he was taught He was sort of secretive-like, but yet he could always tell wonderful jokes, and he loved his family, and he enjoyed helping people like the church. They always would serve food for homeless, and and then he would work at different homeless areas. And so he he was always very big on um, helping anyone that he could. And then he would always come and visit me and my sons and my husband at that time. And he would get my sons during the summer and they would go to the pool and they would go down to the beach and they would get, you know, banana splits. And so we had a lot of fun. I'm, I do miss him a lot. I mean, I know that he would have been up in his 80s, 90s by now, but just the fact knowing that, you know, I, he would be there. I could talk to him. The boys would have had their grandfather. I now have two grandsons that he would have just absolutely loved. You know, he he's missed a lot. I miss him a lot. I miss being able to call him and talk to him and him coming and visiting. He, he was a good dad. He would clamp down on me. <laughs> really he was a military hard. man. Oh, yes, he was. It was all right. I can tell in your voice that even though it's been 25 and and now, like you said, almost 26 years, it still hurts. It's still hard that you don't know what happened, isn't it? Yes, it is. From the detectives at the very beginning to the detectives now, it's sort of the same, but yet it's still different. I would just, I want to know the truth. I just want to know everything about what happened, you know, the truth. You and I spoke earlier and we talked about how this is one of the reasons why I highlight unsolved cases, even if they are quite a few years unsolved. Someone out there knows what happened. And we're hoping that if that's you or if you know someone who might know, that it's it's time to come forward. Because what what would that do for your family to finally know? Well, for one, I would, I can't say that I would be excited. It's just that I, I need to know who killed my dad and the reason for it. I got in touch with Face Logics and they did a enhancement of what off of the original 
sketch of what he would possibly look like today. And how has this affected your family? Other than just obviously, like you said, the gaping hole, the the absence of your dad and the grandfather and great-grandfather he would be. How has it affected how your family just lives day to day or interacts with each other? As far as my children, my youngest one always tells me, mom, if something happens to you, keep notes and I will always, you know, carry on wherever you may leave off if something has not, you know, been done. My oldest son, he had a very hard time with it all. We'll talk. I mean, he'll bring up his grandfather every now and then, and he'll say a few things, but he, he doesn't. Uh, Matthew and I, my youngest son, we have, we've had more conversations about it. But Douglas does come up with things here and there that he remembers and things that he liked and what they did. So, I think people tend to forget that there are secondary victims in in any type of crime. So even though your father was the primary victim, it's affected you, it's affected your kids, it's affected his, his siblings, and probably even the community to a certain extent. I'm sure this was talked about extensively back when it happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have like 16 groups for unsolved homicides and missing persons and that sort of thing because I feel this helps me with being able to uh, share and put out information there. Well, there's a group, it's uh, called You Must Be From Columbia, South Carolina, and then there's another Columbia, South Carolina one. And so I got permission to be able to share, you know, on the page. And the gentleman was very, very nice about it. Well, I'll tell you what, over the last eight years, I guess, after I had found out some things and found out that, you know, there was another person involved that they tried to say that had murdered my dad. About three years after he had been put to prison, it came about that he did not do it. There was there was like 14 years, I guess, that went by that uh, they never told me about it. And I always thought this person was it. And so finally, whenever I found out that this person did not do it, then I sort of was, I felt like it had happened all over again. So I'm now having to fight my way through the whole Richland County Sheriff's Office, including the sheriff, to get my dad's case back open and to find out what happened and what went on. I have had quite a few people that has contacted me um, on Facebook telling me, we use that boat ramp every Saturday. And it just so happened the weekend your dad got murdered, we had gone away. Or somebody would say to me, we go down to that boat ramp all the time. And I just cannot believe that this happened to your dad or, oh my God, that case was horrible. I can't believe it happened. You know, just all types of things. And this uh, past year, I had gone to Columbia and there were several people that had helped me. And I made big uh, posters and flyers and, you know, and we stood out on the, on the corners of Olympia Avenue and Rosewood Drive and we held them all up. 
And this uh, restaurant, the owner was willing to sort of put us in the back and we had tables and everything to set up. And it was really nice how they allowed it all. And uh, Chief Smith, Lieutenant Eisenhower and Dottie, which is, um, she is retired and a retired police officer, but she comes in and helps. And so those are my three detectives. And so they came down. Then they also had a preacher that came down from the Richland County Sheriff's Office. And so she did a prayer with us before and after. So it it turned out nice. There were some things that he asked me to talk about, which was a little difficult, but I had to get myself to come out with the things he wanted me to talk about. It's sort of been a difficult case with uh with some different with some of the things that came out that they claim and so it's been difficult for me and after 25 years i mean i'm i'm trying very hard to accept and to take it but i need proof i need proof one of the things that i really try to do with the podcast is let people know that there are ways that just your average everyday person can help and you mentioned you had this couple that had a restaurant and they gave you space for a meeting what other kind of things have happened over the years where someone has been able to lend a helping hand that may have seemed to them like they weren't doing very much but meant a lot to you we had a school, which was the original school, and it was used for all grades. They got funds and they redid the school. The lady that owned and that helped so much with this, she came down and helped us at the boat landing for the 25th anniversary. And she held up signs and she was there with us. And, and so it was very nice to be able to meet her again after all these years and then her helping me. And that was, that was very, very nice. I think that's wonderful to really highlight how community involvement and just remembering people for how they live their life, not the circumstances of their death. Right. Any of you that are listening that you have any kind of platform where you can help spread stories to help remember well-lived lives, that would be a tremendous service to families who have gone through this kind of tragedy. And I want to ask you, when you and I were talking and, and setting up a time to record and talk about your dad's case, you asked me if there would be a fee. And I just have to ask you, was that because you know I'm a private investigator or have other media outlets wanted you to pay them to highlight your dad's case? Unfortunately, with our groups that we do, we have had in the past podcasts or investigators or various people that have come in, oh, well, you know, we're an investigator or oh, we're a podcast, you know, whatever. And the first thing I ask them, you know, do you charge or whatever? Because our people does not pay for your services because we want our families to be recognized by what is, you know, something 
horrible has happened to them. It is a trauma that has happened to them. And their families are suffering. And there are a lot of podcasts, there's a lot of people out there that instead of them helping in a good way, instead they help in a bad way. And they sort of put the families down for what has happened to them. Or they try to pick things out that may have happened within the families. And so that is why, uh, because of me being an admin to the groups, when and if they do come on, I ask them, okay, can you please show me proof of what you have done? Or so I can look at it, I can see how you do it, uh, this sort of thing. Because we will not allow our families to be charged, you know, because they've already gone through enough. Then here a stranger comes, oh, well, I can do this to help you. Oh, but it's going to cost, you know, we just can't do that. And so, um, and it's not just me. I mean, it is people across the board on Facebook that has groups that are helping families and they are the same way. I totally agree with you. I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's probably something that a lot of people that are consumers of this content might not realize happens. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I am a licensed private investigator and I do get paid for my investigative work, but that's when clients come and hire me. Right. That's, That's not when I go out and tell people, hey, I'll do this for you if you pay me. And the same with my podcast. Right. I want to highlight these cases because I really think that listeners can help drive information that will help solve these cases. Exactly. And I think people, they can just learn, you know, if you know someone that's been through something like this, I hope you're learning ways that you can help them. You're learning things that you can warn them about, like be be very careful of people that are going to come asking you for money. Right. So many families have already been traumatized just by what's happened. And people don't realize how many times they're re-traumatized. Exactly. Yes, that's very true. It's hard for somebody to understand what it's like to be called on the phone by a police department to tell you that your loved one has been murdered. It is the most difficult phone call that someone could ever receive. And I mean, it just takes you to the floor. Your heart is just torn in a thousand pieces. And and it's like, you don't know which way to go. You don't know what to do. And so it is uh, the tragedy that you go through, besides the fact of the loved one being murdered, then you have to sit in front of the, the police department telling you about what happened. And then you have to go and identify your, your, your loved one. That was very difficult. I have, never, I have not done that before. That was extremely hard. He had wounds um, on him besides all of the stabbings that took place. They've told me that no matter what, whoever this person was, it, was, um, it wasn't planned. It was a very unorganized murder. Well, Tammy, we'll wrap up with just one more question. If you knew that someone that had information about your dad's case was listening, 
what would you say to them to encourage them to come forward? Why is it so important that they do that? The reason why it's so important is because when I got the call that my father had been murdered, and when I got to South Carolina and we had to sit at the table with the detectives, not only did they tell me that my father was murdered, but they claimed that my father was gay and that he could have been with his gay lover. Of course, that was not something, I mean, I flat out told them that they had the wrong person. His sisters and brothers were there. My mother was there. And they all, I mean, all of us sort of, we didn't know what to think about the whole situation. So I kept asking them questions about how do you know this? Um, who, who gave you this kind of information? And they just kept claiming that, you know, that uh, different people, you know, would talk about how my dad would have men come and see him and this and that. Well, I'm sorry, he was divorced. His brother would come see him. He had, he knew people from out at Moncrief Hospital. There was people that came to see him from church and he had a girlfriend. It was just, to me, I just felt like as if it was just nosy people that were trying to make something out of it. One thing led to another and I have really been, it's been hard for me to discuss this. It's taken me 25 years to take what I have stuffed to come up when I was in South Carolina last year and when Chief Smith said to me, Tammy, we need to discuss this somehow. And the only way that I knew how to do it at the time was, you know, that when you have a loved one, you know, something like a tragedy happens, sometimes things comes out from their past that maybe you didn't know. And so from that past, it has come up. But was he homosexual? Was he uh, with a gay man? I don't know that. Yes, he was seen walking with a man. Did he know the man? Have no clue. We don't even know where he came from. The three witnesses claimed that my dad was there in the parking lot in his car. He was walking you know, down at the boat landing. When this man came walking up, they just started talking. And when my dad started coming down the hill area, the wooded area from where they were, because back then they used to keep it cut and, and uh, shaved really nice. So on the other side of where this hill was, they had picnic tables, chairs, and it was on the other side of where the Congaree River would split was split off. So people would go fishing down there. People would take lunches down there, you know, and there's a boat dock. People would take their boats out. Now they do not really take care of the boat landing. So it's all grown up and it's all full of trees and high grass and weeds and stuff. Yes, it is hard for me to believe that my dad's gay. Could he be? Yeah. If there is someone out there that was homosexual, that knew my father, and that was at the Rosewood boat landing with him, whether if y'all were lovers, whether if you were just friends, it does not matter. What matters is, is that somehow you both either met each other or whatever your circumstances was, why did you stab my father to death? 
what happened when he came down with his hands to his abdomen with his shirt off, bleeding to death. The three witnesses heard my father ask you, do you want money? What do you want? They could not hear a response. All they could hear was my father. There had to be something that took place to why my father asked you that. But there were three witnesses there that saw. Uh, You were Latino male, about 5'10", 160 pounds, a mustache, wearing dark Ray-Ban style sunglasses. He was believed to be 25 to 35 years old. And they could still be walking the streets of Columbia. They could be walking the streets of Olympia. And they could also be going down to the Rosewood boat landing. And I feel like that 26 years is now coming up in August. It's time that somebody could come forward and tell me what happened. Can go to the sheriff's office and you can tell them what happened. You can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-888-CRIME-SOUTH-CAROLINA-SC. Or you can contact Lieutenant Kevin Eisenhower at 803-576-3073. My father's case number is RCSD case number 018-796-3023. All you have to do is give them his case number and they will be able to pull it up. His name was Jack L. Robinson. I have a uh, a group page for him. It's justice for Jack L. Robinson. So whoever is out there that knows something, please come forward. You don't know what this is like unless it's happened to you. Tammy, thank you so much. I can't even imagine how difficult it is to share this story, but you're right. Somebody knows what happened, and probably more than just the perpetrator. So if you happen to be another witness that never talked to the police, if you happen to be someone who heard something in the years after this crime, please come forward. I'll have all those those points of contact in the show notes so you'll be able to get a hold of somebody. You can even contact me, and I'll pass that on to the appropriate authorities. So let's help Tammy. Let's help her family. And let's find out what happened to Jack Robinson. Thank you again, Tammy, for sharing with us. Thank you, Lori. I appreciate you contacting me. And, um, and we were able to finally get together and um, do this. I really do appreciate it. Uh, You're more than welcome, and I hope someone comes forward. Thank you very much. I do, too. I would love that. (laughs) It would really help me a lot. (laughs) I know I've spoken about this verse before, but it is so relevant to today's case that I want to go over it again. It's from Leviticus, a chapter most of us probably have skipped most of as we've struggled to get through it. It's chapter 5, verse 1, and I love the way that the message translation phrases it. If you sin by not stepping up and offering yourself as a witness to something you've heard or seen in cases of wrongdoing, you'll be held responsible. That is pretty clear and to the point. If we know something, we're supposed to tell it to people in authority. If you're scared, I can understand that. But there are anonymous tip lines. 
check the show notes for some. Or send me a message and I'll pass your information on. But the absolute best thing to do, according to law enforcement, is to go in person so that police can ask you some follow-up questions. You may know other important information that you didn't even realize was important. But if you know something, please pick one way anyway and get that information to authorities. So for those of us who don't know anything, about an unsolved crime anyway, our practical action step today is super easy. Just share this episode with your friends and please encourage them to do the same. The more people who hear this, the greater chance we're going to have that it'll reach someone who holds the key to solving Jack's murder and give him and Tammy some measure of justice. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out some of my earlier ones. I have had so many amazing guests who give me fantastic information that you don't want to miss. You can also help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact. When you share the episode, subscribe, give me a five-star rating, and a nice review. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.